to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, uh, and I'm delighted to have a fellow German sports marketing veteran with me on the line here today, calling in from Hamburg, Mr. Robert Willer von Voltedjuice. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thanks, Marcus. Great to, uh, for having me. Yeah, no, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation because... Uh, We both started just about the same time in this beautiful industry, around 1994. Uh, we're of similar age as well. And so we're somehow been running around the world of sports marketing um, in, uh, at the same time, even though in completely different parts of the world, uh, as much as we're both German. Uh, I've actually never worked in Germany, oddly enough. Um, and obviously, you spent uh, the majority of your career there. Um, and so we're going to be digging into all those fun stories you have, um, because the most interesting part really is that as much as you've worked in obviously multiple brands in one way or the other, and it's just a generalization, of course, a bit, um, you pretty much worked in the same company <laughs> your whole life, right? And, and we're obviously going to dig into this, what that actually means or what I mean with it. Um, but as always, as we always kick it off, uh, tell us a bit how you got into the industry And uh, you know what? What uh, you know? What made you get into the world of sports? Uh, yeah, Marcus, happy happy to do so. Um, so yeah, when I finished school, actually, uh, I was a bit clueless. <laughs> And you know, my my favorite thing was sports. I didn't want to become a sport teacher, so I started to study sports. And economics uh, mm. for sport management at the beautiful city of Bayreuth, which is in southern Germany, yes. um, still the role model for sports marketing in Germany. And uh, and after that, uh, after finishing that, um, I've created uh, together with some friends a small agency, and uh, we've organized the first uh, national basketball team in in town at the time. And at the same time, you know, I worked as a DJ on on student parties. So. Yeah, so it was, was a fun, fun, funny time. It was interesting. And uh, one morning, uh, I still had a hangover. I got a call from a good old friend um, who studied together with me and who started to work in a company called Ufa Sport, uh, right. which was one of the leading companies at the time, as you said, '94. Uh, um, so the beginning of the wild west of our industry, so to say. Um, and uh, he said, you know, I interested to to move to Hamburg and to start to working for Ufa uh, in the uh, television trading uh, department. And I mm. said, of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and that's how everything started. So I uh, had a, a my, my interview at a halftime break in, uh, at a Champions League match in Munich uh -huh. uh, with my, my former boss, Bernd Hoffmann. And, uh, and two weeks later, I started yeah, my, my professional career. Awesome. And now, you know, so let's call that Ufer Sports 1.0 because we're going to come back to it, of course, later again. Um, so who was who was the owner at that time? How did Ufa, how long were they around by the time you joined them? Uh, you said they were one of the more established ones already at that time, right? Yeah. So I think the company was created end of the 80s uh, by Bertelsmann uh, or right. maybe what's more known, RTL, RTL Group, um, the biggest uh, private media network in, in Europe at the time. Yep. And the and the first deal I did uh, was a uh, four-year uh, worldwide distribution deal with Wimbledon, uh, followed by the same scope with the U.S. Open, so two tennis deals. Mm. And then uh, one day there was a, a gentleman from Serbia walking into the room and saying, "You know, I have a I have the media rights of Red Star Belgrade, the the, the most known team from from Serbia." 
and they played the semi-final. And uh, are you interested in, in acquiring these rights? And uh, and there was a smart guy to say, why not? Uh, because Bayern Munich was in the semis as well, and there was a draw at the time for for the for the semi-final. And uh, luckily, Red Star Belgrade uh, was drawn against Bayern Munich, and the and the company made a million Deutschmark at the time profit with this just one one deal. And uh, so people say, you know, that that seems to be an interesting business model. So <laughs> let's move on and, and and collect some of the of the international rights of these teams playing in in Europe, in the Champions League or in the European Cups or whatever. And this was exactly also my first job. So um, flying around uh, in Europe um, from country to country, negotiating and signing deals with a, uh, with with the with the with the domestic champions from from local leagues um, or participants uh, in these European Cups, and uh, and that was really a, f- a fun part. You know, you know, we got to to know um, interesting characters of our industry. <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, and also making a lot of money for the for the company. Yeah, and again, I mean, this was the old arbitrage game at at the absolute uh, whatever uh, most creative part, right? Just buying this, somewhat you know, hoping the right uh, matches show up. You know, sometimes you you lucky, sometimes you don't. You know, and and I think you, I, I sort of you you made a comment here that uh, you know there was a lot of uh, suitcases with cash ready to go, you know, at the draws uh, in in uh, in Switzerland in there every time because literally people were just there I guess and I'm sure you know IMG and others who were already in that game at that time too right uh, we're all there yeah. and, and, and handing out uh, checks and, and getting you know signing deals so tell us a bit about that yeah to an extent that's true so um, I mean you have to to, to to see that you know in, in these years uh, Europe uh, changed quite dramatically right the former mm-hmm. Soviet Union uh, fell apart the same uh, for you know the countries uh, being today Croatia, Serbia, um, Macedonia, Slovenia, etc. So suddenly, I think UEFA grew from like 38 countries to 52, mm. um, and there were a lot of countries just coming out of a war um, where you know there was no existing banking system. So the only currency was cash, um, and uh, when you wanted to do a deal. With a, a football club in that region, um, you know, you, you you shouldn't try to 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 do a deal and, and transfer money because that, that didn't literally exist. So, <laughs> so that's why we, and it was quite quite, quite difficult, you know, for for a, uh, a stock listed company like RTL at the time, yeah. you know, to to pursue that business. So we needed to convince ourselves that this is the only way we can do these deals, and therefore, we were indeed traveling with a bit of cash, you know, to the draws in Geneva. Uh, always in in one you know at the time quite famous hotel the Noga Hilton uh, where all these draws t- took place so where all the decision makers from these football clubs got together mm. uh, and then we had the literally the night before the draw when we tried to to secure the the last deals and then we more or less negotiated the entire night and did, did deals on you know small piece of papers or even napkins um, just to make sure that on the next day. When, when the draw happened, uh, we're on the safe side. Yeah, um, yeah. It was kind of a lottery, as, as you mentioned before. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so it was it was really interesting part of, of my career and also I think interesting part of our industry at the time. Absolutely. And it lasted until more or less, you know, WEFA and also FIFA decided to centralize the qualifiers in like 10 years ago. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, we'll get to that later <laughs> because clearly, uh, you know, somehow some of the groups you were involved in were again part of that or, or were bidding, of course, for it. But yeah, uh, that really, of course, dramatically changed then. Uh, so, so we're in UEFA, so UFA Sports uh, 1.0 here, uh, and then there was a merger right, with uh, Sport Plus, uh, which was at that time uh, part of Kennel Plus. Uh, how did that happen? Was it uh, Bertelsmann just divesting out, or what was the sort of motivation there? Yeah, I think the the story uh, at the time was that there were two entrepreneurs uh, on one side, the leader of, of Bertelsmann, uh, and on the other side, Jean-Marie Weber, who was running Vivienne Universal in France. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest pay TV operator in France, Canapleuse, was belonging to that, to that group. And uh, these two gentlemen decided you know that it's uh, it seems to be a good, a good idea to create the biggest sports marketing agency in the world and mm. uh, so therefore we have merged uh, ufa sports together with uh, sport plus which was a sports marketing arm of Canal plus right. at the time and there was a third player which was a, um, a french um, sports marketing entrepreneur, um, very old school, a, a group Jean Claude Damont. That's right. And uh, and so therefore, I remember the three. name. <laughs> yeah, uh, very interesting character. So and for a couple of years, he became the CEO of that new group. Right. Um, that was in in 2003 and uh, or 2002, and that was when I became a managing director of of of, uh, uh, of Ufa Sports actually. Right. Right. Now. Again, you know, with this sort of merger, and I know Jerome Walker was there as well, who you know later on, of course, also moved on to FIFA, etc. And you know, all well-known characters here. Um, you know, before we, you know, so what was, um, you know, what worked and what didn't work within, because it was a bit of a German-French combo here, right? Uh, and I've, as I remember having lots of conversation with guys like yourself at that time. It was, it was never easy. It seemed to be that way, right? Maybe, uh, but uh, how did it look from the inside? Yeah, I mean, it it was definitely not a marriage uh, which we, from a you know a management level, uh, wish to have. Um, and suddenly we found ourselves into such a a new situation. And then the first thing what happened was that we needed to have a new name. And um, you know, and we were thinking about you know brainstorming session about a new name. And then suddenly Jean Claude Amour, the new CEO, called us and said, you know, I found one. And then he explained to us that the new name of the of the new of that company should be Sport Five. Mm-hmm. So and we were a bit shocked because you know Sport Five, what, what does that mean, right? I mean, <laughs> nobody really associated anything to Sport Five. Right. But he th- thought it's a good idea. You know, we are uh, operating on, on all five um, continents in the world. So okay. uh, let's 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 call it Sport Five. So and um, and then we figured out very quickly that um, you know we are we were coming from very different cultures, um, both business cultures. Uh, but even you know the French and the German culture, um, you know, needs to be managed to yeah. to fit together. So it's not an automatic fit. And yeah. um, this is what we found out quite quickly, and also our shareholders found out very quickly. And therefore, they decided, I think, just three years after, to resell the company again. Um, and that was, I think, in 2005 or 2004, mm. when when yeah, the that was exactly the the the, um, the, the, the sell of the company to to private equity firm Advent International, right. um, which was a you know also within my career a great step because together with Advent and the management the German management we were able 
to acquire the company. Um, so we have co-invested, uh, and, and that was obviously also a great opportunity for ourselves. Hmm, interesting. So, so then for a couple, you know, and, and we'll get to the next part in, 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 right after this, but uh, for a while, of course, then you are, um, you know, part of a private equity group. And that's always interesting. I mean, we've had a private group in TSA over years as well. And, you know, they just bring a different type of thinking into it. Um, so what was really the strategy at that time? Um, just keep growing and, and building it for the next sell. I mean, that's really obviously what these guys normally look for, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, we were uh, very ambitious in growing the company within our existing business models, uh, which were was more or less two-folded. On one side, we were still doing, you know, very much uh, media rights trading at the time mm. when the company was acquired. Uh, we were in a position to have all five big leagues uh, in our portfolio, the Premier League, the Serie A, La Liga, the German League and the French League. Mm. Um, so we had a really strong position in the market. Uh, we uh, have, on the other side, created a, a model which we have called comprehensive marketing on club level. Mm -hmm. So the first deal we signed was in Germany, uh, the, the club in Berlin, Hertha Berlin. Mm -hmm. It was a 10-year deal um, where we you know, were responsible for all commercial assets from sponsorship sales, um, hospitality, right. Uh, all kind of assets connected with the club. And that's something which we copied, pasted a couple of times and, and scaled also into other markets. Um, so and we had a portfolio of, in Europe, I would say, 25 clubs, uh, you know, with a, very, with a stronghold in Germany, with Borussia Dortmund as one of our key clients, but also Lyon, for example, in France, et cetera. Um, and so that was the ambition to grow on, on, the, on the sponsorship side in the same way as on the on the media trading side right. and um yeah that was the idea how much at that time were you already putting up big checks um was it still times where you were doing things as an agency or was it really putting money up and and then you know running running around and recovering it yeah i mean every deal obviously is a bit different but you don't get these mandates without a strong commitment and sometimes you know it's a signing fee you pay up front sometimes it's a minimum guarantee sometimes there was kind of a loan facility or a prepayment uh, sometimes it was kind of a shortfall guarantee uh, mechanism so you know a lot of different uh, models and every every deal we did with the right sort of was to a certain degree different but obviously the level of, of commitment, the level of investment, um, also on a recurring rate, was was already very very high. Mm. And that was Advent funding this, or or having creative ways to to manage this, or was it just purely based on own revenue streams and cash flow, which you guys were, were generating? Yeah, normally, you know, the, the private equity model is, is not really um, to finance individual projects, right? They acquired the company, and then normally you are on your own to, to finance a business. So uh, you always need to be to be mindful and cautious, obviously, on 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 trying to get the right balance on cash out and, and cash in, obviously. Sometimes you have to pre-finance operations, mm. um, but then you have to make sure that, that this is somehow in line with, with the cash flows coming in. So at the time, you know, the, the company and, and also when we, when we sold it, was was quite cash rich um so i think we had an ebit at the at the end of the of the process before we we sold on the company to the next shareholder 
of around 90 to 100 million. So that nice. was quite, quite, quite substantial. Yep. And and therefore that wasn't too much of an issue. But but you're right, you know, um, driving such a large operation and, and making sure that particularly for these media rights where you have normally a three to four year sales period, you need to make sure that for the next cycle, you're, you're, you're prepared and ready to, to finance it again. Yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, and as we all know, that that model worked very well uh, for a long time. I would say at the moment that model is is difficult, uh, and maybe in some cases disappeared uh, in my mind at least. But uh, maybe we'll touch on that a bit later. Uh, but while we keep going through, you know, the iterations and of the company, um, and as you already alluded to, it, obviously there was another sell, um, and at this time it was to our to, again to another French group. Uh, Lagardère in 2007 for a very large check, uh, I guess reported 160 million euros. Um, how did that, was that again yeah. just Advent saying, look, we've built it up now, there's a good time to cash out, whatever they had previously paid, um, get a good return on their money and, and move on? Was that sort of basically, or was there anything more beyond that? Uh, no, I mean, the, the the typical business model of a private equity firm, obviously, is to acquire a company and then to sell it. And this is exactly what happened. So RTL still re, uh, uh, kept a, a stake of 20% okay. um, together with Advent. And then we sold together. So um, Advent, RTL and the management to Lagardere in the year 2006, end of 2006, for a billion dollars. So the deal was even much higher than, than wow. what you just said. So it's okay. well, eight, eight, 860 million euro at the time um, to, to Lagardere. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting, a huge deal, interesting experience again, because so far for the shareholders, it, it worked out quite well. Um, but I think, you know, we, we discovered very quickly that, you know, I think for the company, uh, it might have not been the right move. Um, uh, but, you know, for us as a management team, and we found it out very quickly uh, that, you know, we don't want to be part of that journey anymore. Um, so the first thing Lagardet did was they fired um, the CEO uh, of the company, which was, you know, part of our, who was part of our management team. Who, who was a that good at friend. The time? Who was the CEO? It was Philip. Philip Cordes. Oh, Philip. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, of course. Philip and, uh, you know, we were not only friends, but we were a very, you know, strong uh, team, very tight, very, very close. Um, and, you know, and actually, you know, we sold a very, very successful company. So nobody understood what what's going on, what happened. And for us, it was a clear signal that this might not be the right place for for the next step of our future. So therefore, yeah. the entire management team left the company mm. so uh i was uh yeah that was in 2007 i was on on garden leave for for 12 months which was quite nice <laughs> um and then uh yeah we were there uh, without a job um uh with a lot of experience obviously and, and a good network and we said okay is it something we we can do again and yeah. then uh we got together philip and also stefan stefan felsing who's the current CEO also of, uh, of Sport5 uh, and, and me. And so, you know, let, let's do it together. And then we said, okay, how do we do it? Um, because we want to create our own company. We said, you know, to, to, to do this kind of business, we, we, need, we need an investor, right? We need money. Um, yeah. We want to, we don't want to um, start small. We want to reach a certain scale uh, in, a, in a short period of time. We can't do that on our own. So we were negotiating with a few investors. And at the end of the day, 
we found RTL again, our previous investor, to oh, say, right. yeah, wh wh why not? And, uh, and then we said, okay, if we have the same management team like before, if we have the same shelter like before, why don't we choose the same name? And therefore, we, we, we choose Ufa Sports again um, to create uh, a new company, a startup, uh, really a greenfield operation, um, but with a lot of ingredients uh, which we had uh, before as well. Yep. So that now we at uh, Ufert Sports 2.0 here, <laughs> which is which, yeah. which is uh, yeah. an interesting one. And and uh, as you as you shared and and uh, I recall, you know, you guys grew again very quickly. Obviously, you had a great team of people. Therefore, um, you knew what to do. So you grew, you know, over 100 people again with with offices around the world. Um, you know, in a, in a very short period of time, uh, you know, what, what was the sort of uh, the driving there? Was it just again, was there was there already a bit of a new business model you guys were exploring, or is again just as you said, what you call it earlier, copy and pasting uh, what was successful previously? Yeah, I think we we did a, a little bit of both, right? I mean, I think in two thousand eight and the following years, we already realized that the media market is changing, and uh, so therefore we needed to change our business model as well. And uh, I think still, you know, selling media rights to established broadcasters was still uh, the right thing to do. And, and actually, you know, the thing what, what also rights was expected from agency partners, mm. but on a far more transparent way, right? So moving from a very intra-transparent in model where you just acquired and resold rights more to a very... Um, open book uh, policy oriented uh, corporation model with rights holders mm -hmm. where rights holders were, were signing the deals themselves and we acted as a service as a full service provider still with commitments um, but in a, in a totally transparent way and I think that was very much appreciated by the market because none of the at that time established companies uh, went that way uh, mm -hmm. it's always easier if you do something new right than yep. to change something with, within an existing organization so that was maybe our advantage and that helped us to to grow and to develop the business within a couple of years time and but it was still very much what a media business or you were also doing some of the sponsorship and other things as well again yeah and we started actually in in germany also with a small portfolio of um of club deals um where a quite uh, nice uh maybe a kind of a niche portfolio of some second division teams and some smaller first division clubs mm -hmm. um, of, of different kind. Um, so people are familiar with German football know the very famous uh, club St. Pauli. It's a typical yep. second division team with, with, a, with a lot of, um, you know, high values. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's, it's more than a football club, right? It's, yes. it's, it's a more mindset which, which comes with it. So <laughs> And so it was fun to to work for a club, um, which is, um, you know, if you look at the commercial opportunity, uh, far more storytelling than selling existing advertising inventory. Right. And I think if you if you see now how the market has changed, you know, I think then you see that most of the of the big football uh, brands uh, have been moving into that direction from selling whatever LED sequences or LED boards or, or shirts into storytelling and true partnership with brands. And, and this is what we tried out already at, at the time. So well, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, yeah, I remember that actually having some conversations with Philip about it, um, you know, long, that's obviously a long time ago. Um, 
What was your role exactly? You were you were the head of media or head of Germany or what, what was exactly what were you doing within the group or within the company? <laughs> within the new company, um, yeah, we were you know three CEOs and we did a bit of everything at the, at the, at the beginning. Mm. Later on, I, I moved a bit more to the to the sponsorship side, um, where Stefan took care of Asia and Philip was very much dealing with European rights orders still on on the media side. So. But again, you know, we were together. We we used our, our existing network from the time, so everybody did a bit of everything. That was maybe a huge advantage on one side, and maybe also created a bit of a problem at the end of the day because I would say, you know, we we were um, operating the company a bit too opportunistically, mm -hmm. um, and if you do too many things at the same time, you know, also uh, you know that you you start to struggle. Um, Spread and yourself thin. Yes, I know that. Yeah, exactly. I know that well. <laughs> um, yes. Now, here's a question. You know, and again, we're we're in a you know big. Uh, the world is in big trouble, right? Um, and we're talking about now when you guys started was 2008 as well, right? Where we had a global crisis. How much was that impacting you guys at that time? Uh, because you were starting the new business, or it wasn't really because you were small, and therefore you know you kind of were riding out the first couple of years, and then uh, you know grew from there. Yeah, I think you know for us the impact wasn't too big because we we didn't need to defend an existing portfolio, right? right. The problem is if you have a, a strong portfolio which you acquired for substantial money, yep. and then you certainly realize uh, that uh, you know you have a problem on the on the execution side, on the, on the on the revenue side, then you're in trouble. But yep. we were not in that in that place, right? We started the company in 2008 from scratch, um, right. so we were already. You know, creating that company within that environment, mm. and, and therefore it didn't really have a have a, have a big impact on, mm. on on the business. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Now, now, funny enough, you ended up selling this whole thing again back to Lagardère. <laughs> so, how yeah, did that, how yeah. does that happen? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, RTL did a a re-IPO. Um, I think it was in 2014. And uh, or prepared the the, the re-IPO in 2014, and with that uh, they wanted to clear the, the the portfolio a bit, and uh, and explain to us that they would like to sell us. Um, and we said, okay, fine, great, why not? Then um, let's look for for a new shareholder. And uh, so therefore we have reached out to some of the companies we would have liked liked to work with, and. Uh, the only company which was on the blacklist, more or less, was Lagardère. So that was more or less the only company we didn't talk with at the beginning because we said, you know, that's what we already had, right, a couple of years back, and yeah. uh, and there were there were good reasons, you know, to leave the company. So um, and and that hasn't changed. So uh, so we talked with with uh, Wasserman at the time. We were already mm -hmm. very close in 2014 to sell Ufa Sports to Wasserman Group okay. uh, with, with Casey and, yeah. and and the guys. So we were very close and also very excited. But uh, you know, we even had a, a, an appointment at the notary, and then within the last uh, couple of days before that, the, the, the deal fell apart. Okay. And um, and then we started from scratch again. And then uh, there was my my old friend Philip Hasenbein, who was a you know a good friend uh, from university times, uh, also being based in Hamburg, and in the meantime became the CEO of uh, of Lagarde Sports in Germany. And he said. Actually, why don't why don't we speak about that? I mean, what, what's the problem? You know, so and can I please show you the new Lagardère? There's a new management team. You know, a lot has changed, and uh, I would like to convince you that it might be a good opportunity. And uh, 
Marcus, since uh, you know we we met each other, we always met in uh, in, in Monaco yeah, uh, at the so Sport Hotel, and 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 the conversation I had with Philip was also you know I think it was Sport Hotel 2014. Uh, we had dinner, uh, mm. and then we say, yeah, why not? I mean, let let let's let's maybe spend that little time and have a look at whether this might have really be changed and might be, be, be have become an opportunity also for us mm. and this is how everything started and and uh, six months later uh yeah we went again to the lottery um this time uh you know without any 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 hiccups and then we we yeah signed the deal for the transaction to sell ufa sports to to lagade for the second time so to speak um yeah. interesting now um Again, now let, let's talk a little bit about um, Lagardere then. So this is, we're in 2015 now. Um, and of course, recently everyone will remember um, the company again was sold. Uh, so over the last five years, again, the agency business has dramatically changed, right? And, and I remember stories coming out of Lagardere. You know, we're no longer putting money up. You know, we're changing the model. We're not going to compete anymore for, you know, putting stupid money on the table and all this stuff. So there was a lot of those things going on. Um, you know, I think it was clear that Arnold Lagardere's vision of building this, you know, big empire uh, by initially buying Sport 5 in the first place, adding smaller agencies, you know, IEG, uh, World Sport in here in Asia, et cetera, from, you know, God knows what else from other parts of the world. I think he bought an agency in the U.S. as well. I um, mm-hmm. uh, can't remember their name now. Um, yeah, Donald Dell. Donald Dells, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, My buddy Donald, yeah, but yeah, I can't yeah. remember his name of the agency they had there, but it doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, again, you know, the vision was always, it was, was nothing, and there was nothing wrong with the idea, right? You know, bringing, you know, smart businesses together with strong teams uh, around the world who know what they're doing, you know, whether it was Seamus here in Asia or, you know, you guys in Europe. Um, but where did it, where did it not work? What was it? Was it again culture? Was it, you know, leadership? Where would you, where would you put your finger on this? So first of all, I think, you know, when you acquire an agency, um, you need to have a very clear idea of what you want to do with that. And um, I think that Arnold Lagardere acquired all these companies because he had a a very personal interest in sports, which is good, right? Mm. But I think, you know, acquiring a company like us and maybe also like World Sports Group, doing a lot of uh, business in in, in television uh, uh, trading, and on the other side, buying consulting businesses or player agents, you know, that has for the first, in the first place, nothing to do with each other, right? Yeah. Totally different areas, totally different business models. Um, and uh, only because it's all sports marketing, uh, there, there, there's not autom- an automatic synergy. Right. So, and when uh, like they acquired these companies, you know, what happened was that all these brands were, were still existing for for many years, I mm. think there was a rebranding uh, only in 2015. So right. for the d- duration of eight years, World Sports Group, Sport 5, IEC in sports and all the other players in the market were operating with their own brand, with their own business model, with their own team, with their own offices. And there was a time and place where we had, I think, three or four offices in Singapore alone wow. uh, within the Lagadere ecosystem all going against each other, right? So there was no collaboration. So there was even more competition within the own group. Mm. So there was there was no added value, uh, which he created by acquiring these companies. 
And at the same time, you know, when you acquire the company from the from the founder, you you need to think about his retention. So how can you motivate him to stay on board? Because he was the one who successfully created that business. Yep. And you you cannot believe that somebody coming from a from a corporate environment is in, in the same moment uh, in, in a position to to manage it, maybe even better than 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 the one who has created it. So, right. and this is what what happened. So many of the founders that just walked away, um, the business was was left aside. There were come people coming from the French corporate organization, you know, trying to manage it, and this this doesn't happen. I mean, what what, what are we? I mean, an agency is is predominantly. You know, a group of people with, uh, with 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 some computers and and a room and maybe some phones, not more, right? We're not producing anything, so yeah. you need to 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 take care of your people. If you don't take care of your people, you lose them, and then you lose you lose grip on the market, you lose uh, network and and relationships, and then you lose contracts and expect. And this is and this is exactly what happened between 2008 and 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 2020. Mm. And, and therefore, now, and when we come now to the next chapter, uh, the transaction which happened early this year, yeah. where Lagardère then realized that, you know, um, he, he wants to sell or maybe he needs to sell the business. Uh, he started a process about two years ago, um, which, you know, the process in total took yeah. quite some time. Yeah, it was fairly um, well documented. <laughs> well documented in the press, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, he sold the business uh, to, again, a private equity firm, which is HIG, the current shareholder. Yeah. And again, we as a management are very happy because we have another opportunity to invest together with HIG uh, in, in the company. Right. Uh, now, now with the ambition to, to grow it uh, again, uh, you know, from a, from a very, to our extent, uh, quite small um, um, foundation, right? Yeah. And, and we'll definitely and let's and this is we're going to spend a bit of time on, of course, what is the new um, and I won't say the name now yet, <laughs> uh, but I want to just make one comment to um, uh, to Lagardere. One thing it looked to me and, and what you mentioned earlier that uh, he had he kept the company name separate, um, even, you know, competing with each other. And it that would look to me like it was the WPP model, right? That's what Martin Sorrell built there in WPP was, was you know, was whatever, 500 or 1,000 businesses he bought around the world. Uh, and in many cases, um, you know, there were similar agencies competing with each other. So my guess is someone was looking at that and saying, why wouldn't that not work in sports, right? And I guess it didn't. We all know that by now. But uh, it's interesting, right, uh, why that is, uh, why it didn't happen. Um, yeah. what, what's your thought uh, on that? Yeah, I think you, you you can make that work, um, but you need to understand the DNA of each and every company. You need to understand the motivation why maybe a former owner or founder wants to sell the business. You need to to understand his motivation maybe to still stay in the business, yeah. uh, or if not, how you can you can re replace them you know on on a on a on a high uh, on a high level. Yeah. Um, and and also, and this is maybe the most important thing, how you integrate them and form them together into something new. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, if you, I think if you acquire a company, you, it's always the same question. Huh? So, what do you buy, and and what's the roadmap to make it more successful, and then yeah. either to keep it or to resell it. And I think it's doable also within in the, the agency environment. Um, and and we've proven that with with the former 
Sport 5 company when we you know, were acquired by, by Advent and, and then sold to business four years later again. So it's possible. Uh, but but there's certainly some some work to be done on, on making that that sure and uh, and that that wasn't the case within Lagadere. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, we could talk uh, probably another hour on Lagadere here. <laughs> there's uh, <laughs> all sorts of stories which pop in my head. Just uh, but um, that's not where we want to go right now. We're back to Sport Five. <laughs> you guys, you know, yes. you guys really like rehashing name old names here. <laughs> <laughs> so we got yeah. Sport Five 2.0 now. Um, after the uh, you know. I guess, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, HIG Capital buying the company. Why Sport5 uh, again? What was the logic there, reason there? Um, so, yeah, there are, there are several reasons to it, actually, and we discussed it at length. Um, so because it, it, at the first, in the first place, we said, you know, maybe that's not really what we, um, what we want to do and what we should do because it, it might be perceived to be a big backwatered again um and and we we are today something totally different than we have been before we were uh renamed from sport five into lagade sport so so therefore we we really uh, thought about it uh, quite quite much and then we said you know at the end of the day um you know it's an established brand uh it's well known uh, it stands for you know something uh, very positive for quality for strength for you know good people and good service uh and therefore we finally decided to to say before we create something totally new again and explain you know why you know uh that that, that the new name is actually the former lagardere the former sport five the former ufa sports <laughs> you know we rather we, we rather create uh we come back to sport five which is established and what you which you what you what you don't need to explain to someone else it reminds me of the artist formerly known as you know that's really what <laughs> exactly. you guys are um so uh, now you know it, it, yeah and it makes sense i mean I, I can follow this i mean i'm i you know it's been like you know total sports asia it's been the name for for years and and we you know later on it became tsa but it was always still it's that main name out there which you know for good and bad people recognize and, and I think there is value to those things um, now let's talk a bit about what is sport 5 2.0 up to um, how many folks are you um, you know where, where what sort of where are the offices and uh, all the fun stuff you guys are doing now in the traditional world and of course you know and then we talk about our esports here yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really more happy to speak about uh, the in our sport five and the future, and not too much anymore about Lagadere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah, I think you know we are a company now uh, of around a thousand people wow. uh, okay. working, uh, you know, in different parts of the world. We have a very strong um, business still, very much a football business, but also mm. with, with some other sports in Europe. Uh, with about 500 people in, in Germany, about 150 people in France, about 150 people in the UK, uh, offices in in Poland, in Budapest, Hungary, in uh, in the Netherlands, in Denmark, in Spain, etc. Wow. So that's that's Europe. Mm. Um, and then the European business is very much uh, a a business uh, where we you know focus on sponsorship sales and hospitality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with all kind of digital services and digital product development attached to it. 
Um, so I would say we are we are a sales house, and, and you know very much a sales house. Mm -hmm. um, in Asia, it's it's very much the same. So very much on working on on, on the right sort of sides with a with a strong business in China in Singapore, which is our still our our Asian headquarter. Um, we've been working for many many years with the AFC, as you know. Uh, we lost that contract. Uh, to a Chinese competitor just uh, lately. Um, yep. He'll be up next but, on the uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, we are still operating the Suzuki Cup, uh, yep. the Australian Open. We are representing the Australian Olympic Committee. So we're, you know, strong rights or representation also uh, in, in Asia. And then uh, if we move to, to the US, uh, that's, you know, uh, a mixture of a, of a strong talent business and, and NFL, uh, also tennis and golf. So is Donald uh, still part of it? Is Donald still Donald, Donald is still part of it. And, awesome. then we have, uh, and then we have Steve Lloyd, which you might know as well, uh, representing golf uh, within our company. It was a strong, strong golf business. Okay. Um, and Joel Siegel. Joel Siegel is our CEO in, in the US, yeah. uh, who, is, who is running a a very very successful talent business in, in the NFL just uh, signed one of the most uh, uh, known and, and attractive uh, running backs with uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, which at least our American uh, colleagues I guess all know. Mm -hmm. So um, and uh, and beside that we are we are doing consulting um, with for brands like like Bridgestone, like Citibank, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same place invest into into our sales resources. Uh, to to grow our sales capabilities, so we are very much, I would say, second to none as a sales business on on sponsorship sales. Mm -hmm. uh, we still do a lot of media rights uh, globally uh, with a still decent portfolio, um, uh, which we want to want to grow further. Um, and I think that you know our future is very much into making our core better and really you know strengthen our our sales division in all in all respect right so particularly when it comes to you know building a, a sales platform in the marketing cloud uh you know a, a strong sales uh, tool actually uh which which will be able to to um yeah increase even the, the 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 presence in the market and also uh making sure that you know right sorters are a better way of doing business with us than doing it on their own hmm. Interesting. Uh, before, before we move on to, uh, I definitely want to talk about what you're doing in esports, uh, but I want to touch on something else. So the transaction obviously happened earlier this year, right? Um, um, so maybe it was sort of just prior to, to COVID. Um, and then COVID hit, which means the whole industry, you know, shuts down pretty much overnight um, and hasn't really restarted in a, in a proper sense, in my view, at least. Uh, now, I remember when we were, when it was 2008, um, we had 100 people, seven offices across Asia. Um, and then we had a global crisis, which was different than when you we were talking about earlier with you guys, where you were a new agency at that time. We were we were at that time large and big and was, you know, big overheads and all this stuff. And it was painful. Um, I mean, luckily we had, I guess the reserves at the time to sustain it, but it was a very painful uh, couple of years to kind of swinging out of it. Uh, I can only imagine uh, with a thousand people, that's a big overhead, uh, you know. And so, how do you guys look at this? Um, is there the the reserves are there to say, look, we're gonna just you know hunker down and sweat it out, and and the industry will come back, and uh, or what is it? What you guys are doing really at this moment in time? 
Yeah, I think that you know we're um, not lacking of opportunities in the market. I think there are plenty of great opportunities in the market. The thing is, and and that's maybe how the agency landscape has changed. You know, there was um, pressure on the margins, uh, which, uh, as a result of you know a market which moved from being very very intransparent into far more transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, so pressure on the margins, uh, which results in you know in, in more cost control, and making sure that you're operating a lean organization, with uh, with low redundancies, uh, with more focus on on uh, you know making sure that 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 you are right sizing the organization uh, in relation uh, to uh, to to your revenues, and and I think this is an exercise everybody's. Is doing and has to do, and I think COVID is is not um, uh, has not created that. It's more accelerating that process. Right. So I think I'm I'm 100% convinced, and I really strongly believe in the future of, of agency in, in sports marketing. But the ingredients and the capabilities have dramatically changed. Um, I think that look, if, if you just imagine a uh, right sort of a, a, a big sports organization, um, football club, whatever sports club, in a um, in 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 a in a marketplace which you know gets more and more complex in in all res, uh, in all respect, right? So Absolutely. when it comes to 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 media rights, for example, just to pick that example, in the past, you know, the skill set of an agency was very much determined by negotiation skills. Um, you know, braveness, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the ability to take risks yeah. and to pre-finance these operations and maybe access to to the clients, you know, the media platforms, etc. So that has changed now because the classical television model is changing, right? The the old pay TV model is nearly dead. Yeah, so that's what uh, I called it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there there will be hardly any any substantial money coming from from pay TV uh, operators in the future. Uh-huh. Um, you have a lot of uh, streaming portals, big ones, small ones. You have the OTTs, etc. So for a rights holder, you know, to define the right strategy, to commercialize the rights in between a B two B offering to established broadcasters. Yeah to be to see or d to c model where you have uh, a product right for the end consumer and how yep. to operate that and to manage that and to to you know particularly to to um to manage it also with with sufficient content i think is is a, is a challenge mm-hmm. um so therefore i think most of these writers they can't do it alone they need help and and therefore as an agency you just need to adopt on your abilities and your capabilities okay. to to help so, so if I would I interpret it correctly, you're saying you you're looking to maybe position yourself a little more as a maybe consultant is the bad word here, but uh, you know to really, con- well, to help them to figure out what is the new ecosystem um, those rights holders need to be in, right? rather than just um, being an outright sales agent, which is really what we all used to be, right? No, we are still we are still a sales organization, so we are not we are we are to a very small part only a consultant or an advisor. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more, you know, that, because that's more a question of the business model. So when it comes to the question, who pays you? Is it the, the client or is it the rights order? So once the client pays you, so the brand uh, who spends the money or the, or the, the broadcaster, 
you are acting as a consultant. If, if the right sorter pays you, then normally you are getting a, a cut on on the on the, on on the total revenues, right? And yeah. this is still what we what we are and what we want to be. Okay. Uh, uh, first and foremost, right? So, but I'm I'm just more saying you now that the business model has has changed to a more value creating. Uh, capacity on an agency level more than just negotiation skills. So let's let's take another example, maybe on on the brand side. So you know, uh, finding access to brands from a right sort of perspective is a challenge. Why? Because first of all, you don't scale as as a business. If you're a football club, you you have just a let's say a limited number of people you you can employ uh, to to reach out to brands. So you're not really scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, second is the intelligence behind. So you know, all the entire sales process within Sport Five is is data driven mm-hmm. and data based. Um, so having access to these first party data or third party data for a rights order is is nearly impossible, right? When it comes to, I was I was talking about you know a, a sales platform um, which contains a proper pre qualification of a. Of a brand, then this is something an agency can do it because we are representing hundred plus rights orders, you know, and we have scale. Right. But for a single rights order, it's it's not it's not possible. It's yeah. not doable. Yeah. And, uh, and the, therefore, the biggest I've, boys can do it. I mean, the man users are doing it, right? And and the man man cities of the world are doing it themselves. But you're right. I think the there is a broad spectrum of the uh, everyone else who doesn't have he can't afford it and and won't have that firepower of what an agency like Sport Five can bring, right? Yeah, and it's also not easy to build. You know, you have to say, you know, for let's take again a football club. You know, the the core business of a football club is is Saturday afternoon three uh, thirty in Germany, right? That's yeah. when the matches are kicked off, and and that's the core. They need to win matches to win points and to hopefully win whatever championships or, or, or prevent yeah. a relegation. So that's that's their core. Um, so and and what we you know always experienced also in the past that. Within a football club, it's not only the scale, but also it's, it's sometimes the, the the classical sales DNA, uh, the mindset really to to put utmost focus on all the com- commercial processes, is not really there. And this this is where we kick in, and, and where we believe that we can add value as an agency to to that mm. process. Mm. No, interesting. Right. And, and I, I mean, I'm I'm just thinking aloud here. It's 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 a, I think uh, as I said, is a challenging model. Um, you know, my belief is that. Um, rights holders need to be a lot more directly, what you mentioned earlier, direct with the consumer, which means they need to build their own OTT. Uh, they can't rely on um, hoping to God someone is continuously buying their rights. And, and so, again, the, the role as the agent um, is changing there dramatically. And, you know, and we, we can probably, I'm sure we'll have some more conversations on that. But watching our time a little bit, I, I have a couple more other things I want to talk to you about. And, um, and that is esports, right, which we both know. Is growing like crazy. Um, I know you have your own division or team in it as well, looking at it, and you have a couple of good clients already. Uh, talk to me about through that. Uh, how much do you see the similarities in traditional sports and esports? You know, that's what I see, and that's what I tell people. But uh, how do you guys look at this? Yeah, maybe to to just look back a few years. So we started our esports operation about four years ago, um, mm. and uh, that was a little bit of coincidence because we had a. Day a, a good handful of people within the organization working on, on traditional sports, uh, but having a passion in esports, and they mm-hmm. came to me and said, "You know, you know, the market is so big. Let's look at that, and maybe let's see whether we can translate our 
our core services, which is selling sponsorships, selling media rights into esports. And we said, yeah, let's give it a, give it a try. And we started small with a with a team, actually from Germany. But funny enough, they are, they made it now up to the to, to the world's final in League of Legends, mm. which I just played right now, which is called um, Unicorns of Love. Okay, that's the that's the name of the team. And we we've been able to broker you know some some small deal like twenty thousand twenty five thousand euros at the time. So and the the deal size was not important to us. Important to us was to identify that there is a possibility for brands and there is a, a need for brands uh, in general to look at that space. Um, and that space was not taken by anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when we when we started to create a portfolio when we started to to hire people um, and uh, and again you know we we didn't do any funny things with whatever buying teams or investing in a publisher or organizing esports event it was very much really using our sales power our access to brands to help brands to better understand the esports e- uh, ecosystem yeah. um, and uh, so meanwhile we have a, um, a, a great relationship with with riot games for marketing and, and, and commercializing the particularly the LEC, which is a European uh, franchise league, similar mm-hmm. to, the, to the football champions league in Europe with yep. franchises from, from all, all over the place in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we are also having partnerships in, in Asia with T1, for example, you know, the, the biggest actually esports clan in, in the world uh, from Korea. Uh, which we represent uh, in the same way we do in, with, with some of, some other esports teams, and so that's the way how we have developed ourselves into that space. And for me, esports is the biggest opportunity um, in our sports industry. And again, you know, COVID is 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 not uh, uh, let's say the initiator of that, but it's certainly the accelerator of, of esports in, in in today's life, right? And if you if you see, you know, uh, League of Legends has increased the viewership the audience by 70 percent only this year um so the the audience numbers are going through the roof and we today have hardly any conversation with a brand without touching esports as a topic and this really gives us a lot of credit for for what we have been doing and also a lot of uh uh backwind also now to to go ahead and to 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 further invest in that space yeah and i'm very happy to hear this too because pretty much what you just said and and i would agree with almost every single word of it is exactly what we've done too uh, a couple of years ago we started total esports you know as coming out of total sports asia and uh, and it's the same idea you know it's it's so obvious that brands do not understand the ecosystem yet and therefore need to be educated um and it, guys like us uh, so i i you know great great minds think alike here uh, for sure and i think uh, you know we'll give ourselves a bit of credit there um but uh I, I do agree. It's, I think it's a huge opportunity globally. Uh, the numbers are speaking for itself. Um, we should talk a bit more about, uh, like I said, we're doing some really interesting stuff in the Middle East as well uh, and with a few other interesting projects. So uh, I'll tell you more about it offline here. But uh, as we are sort of slowly wrapping up um, our conversation, and as I said, you know, there is so much more we could talk about, but uh, there's always a you know, time limit here to this. So one thing I've always liked to touch a bit on, and, and someone like yourself who's had such a long, uh, illustrious career, 
Um, you know, there are moments where, you know, you're on the top of the world, um, you want something um, or you win a big deal. And then, of course, there are moments where you, things uh, don't work so well. And tell us a bit, of, you know, give me a couple of uh, things here. Sort of what would you consider were your sort of highlights um, in your 25 years here? I think, you know, some of the highlights we just talked about, right? I mean, you yeah. know, investing together with a private equity firm in your own company, I think is, is a highlight for itself. Yeah. Again, now, you know, to, to be in a, uh, in, in a situation where we are now after the, the, the takeover of HIG, really trying to, to grow that company from, from where it is, I think it's, it's a huge opportunity and certainly a highlight of my career. Um, but they have been always also highlighted in business. And I think one was, for example, when we won the business with the Wafer back in 2006 for the um, the worldwide media rights of the of the euro 2008 mm. uh, which is uh, a billion uh, dollar business uh, which was a billion dollar business at the time yep. you know a great great achievement for the company great achievement for us as a team at the time and these were, were moments in time where you said you know fuck you know this is this is really fantastic <laughs> that was and, uh that was under the Sport 5 umbrella at that time? Um, or what was yeah, the, yeah. the company when you guys had that deal? That was, was the first Sport uh, 5, yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. Sport 5 1.0 here. Now, what, what was the worst moments? What are the stuff where you're going, oops, this didn't work? Uh, a lot of things didn't work, uh, um, unfortunately. But I think, you know, these are exactly the, 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 the moments where you uh, learn the most. Yep. Um, I think, you know, with the with the, 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 the latest experience with Ufa Sports, we had a very dark moment when one of the clubs in, in Germany, Alemannia Aachen, for those ones who know them, uh, had to declare insolvency. And mm -hmm. from one day to another, we just had invested uh, like I think eight million or six million of wow. euros, uh, and that money was gone uh, and went down the drain within a second. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the, the entire damage was was far higher than that. It was 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 ten million plus, and then you suddenly realize for still you know a company of of that size, you know this is something which can kill you. And uh, to realize that, and then you know to. To, to try to manage against it, you know, that was really tough and uh, obviously attached with some sleepless nights. Hmm. Was that, so that was Lagardère at that time or which? No, that, no? that was, that was Ufa Sports. Really, with, oh, with Lagardère, we had okay. always, or with, with Sport 5, we had also, you know, a, a moment in time when we, I think it was a, the right idea, uh, maybe a bit too early, um, when we invested in a company called Sport Digital. Um, it was a, a streaming portal in Germany for all kind of, 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 um, you know, team sports from the from the second layer, so below football, which is mm. handball, volleyball, basketball, hockey, etc. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, and uh, we invested like 10 million in, in developing that, and then we realized, you know, that the consumption rate uh, was so low, and and actually, you know, the the fact that people were not really ready to spend money on a new technical invention, uh, uh, you know, where we say, okay, you know, I think we we sold it for. A euro more or less a few years later mm. and then to realize that you have the, maybe the right idea um and either it it, uh, it didn't work out uh, because of the wrong execution or maybe because the market was just not ready for it um yeah. but it, 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 it was a painful experience as well 
Timing is everything for sure. Uh, I've tried one of those, I think, three times now. <laughs> the first one was around 2000, where similar, when remember, if you remember, all these portals were coming up, right? And there, we, we were already looking at, we actually we called it totalsports.tv. Um, so we were way ahead of that time. I know that was, oh, no one even <laughs> knew what the OTT was. Uh, then we try one around the similar sort of 10, 2010. And then, of course, our last one, which was called Sports Fix uh, a few years ago here, which was OTT. Uh, and I was convinced this was our chance to get away from the agency model um, and finally enter the distribution side of the business. But um, I think I realized, and maybe uh, similar to our friends from Dezona realizing, you need a very, very large checkbook to make that work. Exactly. Um, and if you don't have that, then it's probably not such a good idea. Uh, and so that's an interesting one as well. I think, yeah, I, I uh, you know, these scars, battle scars we all have, um, you know, hopefully they, we learn something from it and, and then we can bring them into the next business or into the next ideas, which we're all working on there. So, yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting exactly. time. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. I mean, have you guys ever looked at, I mean, doing something in OTT on your own um, or you're you're sort of steering away from that? No, I think, you know, OTT, you know, to a large degree will be the future of many, many rights holders, you know, in the market. Uh, we are not a, uh, a tech firm, so it's not about us, uh, you know, um, creating a, an OTT. I think, you know, we would rather be the ones who are operating and running an OTT mm. uh, because, and this is, I think, also a painful experience for some of the rights holders who have invested in OTT. It, it's not enough just to invest in technology, right? Uh, yeah. Technology is, is maybe the foundation and the prerequisite, but at the end of the day, the key to a successful OT operation is uh, is a proper management, and yeah. this is a day-to-day -day operation. You know, producing relevant content every day. You know, reaching out to your target group. You know, doing the marketing right, uh, etc., to run that properly. And this is more to what we look at and where we can add value as an agency, rather than you know the, the technical technical side. There are yeah. others who can do that much better than us. Yeah, I agree. I friends from Delta Tree and others. Now, um, exactly. while we're wrapping it up here, um, you know, your career started in Hamburg 20, 25 years ago plus. Uh, and you're back, you're always still in Hamburg. Uh, where, where your entire period, were you always based out of Hamburg or you were at some other parts of the world at one point? Uh, no, and, and for, fortunately, maybe unfortunately, it was always Hamburg, right? right so, okay. I mean, obviously, you know, we were all traveling a lot, but our base was, was always Hamburg. Right, okay. All right. It's kind of cool. It's no, there. No. Now, the last one here, um, with with everything we know, it's happening around the world. Um, you know, and the two of us, I'm sure, follow this uh, as close as anyone. What what is your best guess? Um, when are we going to come out of this, um, and how are we going to come out of this um, in the world of sports? Uh, Esports, I think we touched already, but you know, let's stick to our real world of sports. Um, how long do you think it's going to take, and uh, you know, and how long it's going? To, I mean, not just take to come out of COVID, which none of us really knows anyway. Many other reasons for that, um, but when do you think the industry will start to sort of you know recover? So, uh, I think that's certainly not a, an easy question, uh, yeah. and there's certainly not only one answer to it. So, the only thing what I really believe is that um, sports uh, is is hope. And sports is is and will always be a, a very very good platform for brands and broadcasters uh, to to operate with. 
Um, and therefore, my hope is, you know, that sports as a uh, as a genre uh, will come out stronger than it was before, mm. because people need something they they look ahead to. People need compensation also for all the difficult times they are they are experiencing right now. Uh, and therefore, for me, sport is is a very good vehicle and platform for you know a better. A better future after COVID, and and once hopefully the the economy will recover, we see now in our business that obviously a lot of things don't happen. On the other side, there are a lot of also very positive signals, a lot of great deals we have created. We just signed a deal quite lately, you know, for you know a substantial two-digit million deal uh, with a with a with an automotive brand and and cycling, right. which you know un, which which confirms and aligns you know the strength and still the ability also of brands to act. Uh, what's a bit missing, obviously, is is um, is everything what's connected with audience. So our uh, our uh, hosp- strong hospitality business, which we operate. For example, in Germany, uh, with uh, 100 million plus revenues in, in a normal year, that that is obviously under under a lot of pressure. As mm-hmm. long as people cannot access uh, arenas, um, and this this will change one day. We we don't know. We are now in a budgeting process, and we are not foreseeing you know, any any substantial change within the next couple of months for sure. But uh, one day it will come back. But on the on the sponsorship side, we see some really great deals happening uh, even in these times, and you see some of the of the of the brand categories are even benefiting from from the COVID times. Uh, if you're looking at food chains and, and some others, uh, which are you know prepared to spend uh, good money also on, on these kind of deals. Mm. Yeah, and that's good to hear. Like I said, I mean, I I think I have a, one thing I always see is that during those times, brands really pull back uh, and, and pull back hard, right, and fast because they don't even know what's happening. Um, and so the conversations do become always about, yeah, come, you know, let's talk about next year. Uh, and even now, I think next year already looks like it's around the corner um, and still no one knows what's going to happen. So uh, it's an interesting one. So I think we'll all be watching it. Um, now, you did you just threw out a number here, which sort of triggers off that I have to ask a question and I'll leave it to you whether you want to answer. What, what's the sort of top line of the group now? It was a thousand people. What, what are the sort of uh, official revenue do- numbers there? Yeah, Marcus. Unfortunately, that's something I can't talk about. Okay. That's <laughs> okay. Fair enough. If you're if, enough. if if you're interested, you might find some some references uh, in the I'll official go- publishing I'll, of. I'll Google it. Or like idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, not a problem. Exactly. Excellent, yeah. Robert. That was awesome. Thank you uh, for your time here. I really enjoyed this. Uh, going through uh, some of the you know the interesting stories there of uh, of the, the different groups you were part of from Sport 5 and UFAs and of course the Lagardiers of the world and now back to Sport 5 uh, so I wish you and the rest of the team there best of luck uh, you know um, and please say hello of course to some of them uh, some of the folks who I know well inside and uh, you know you know we might not see each other at a moment at, at the Sportels here but uh, I'm sure we'll catch up somewhere and uh, keep talking to each other yeah Marcus Thanks again for the invitation. I'm, I'm sure we catch up uh, pretty soon. Definitely. All the best. Okay. Cheers. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission 
of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.